Now today I want to speak um, about money, so I'd like to just start with a short video, because this is a short advert, uh, advert actually. By the way, there are these flyers for Mother's Day, so you do take some away, I hope you handed one as you came in. But uh, we, we'll have this video now, and this is a short advert. Tongue in cheek. Oh man, I wish I had more money. You need more money? I wish money grew on trees. Now it does. To you, the money plan. Growing approximately $10 per plant and only costs $5 to buy. That's 200% profit. With the economy that turmoil it's in today, a money tree is the proper investment because it's guaranteed to give you money. 10 out of 10 people pulled in and said that they wish money grew on trees, and now it does. People need more money. All you have to do is buy our pot of soil, place in your own penny, bury, cover, and water. Simple as that. Watch it grow. Wow, that's amazing. How long does it take? With proper sunlight and water only once a day, your money tree will reach its approximate value of $10 in only five days. Holy cow, that's $2 a day. Except I grew my very own plant, and I got all this money. It's approximately $42 from one plant. That's only $5 and one penny. Holy cow! Hurry to buy your money tree today. Soil only lasts before planting, so call in the next 10 minutes and we'll throw out an extra pot of soil, no charge. Call 1 800 555 tree. That's 1 800 555 tree. Results to hurry to buy your money plant today. We accept most major credit cards and your plan should ship in 3 to 5 days. <laughs> money, money, money. <laughs> Now, along with a lot of things on the internet, you can't believe everything. <laughs> but uh, according to scripture, money is a lot like uh, growing on trees. It says, scripture says money is like seed, so that it's something that can multiply. And, uh, and that's very exciting, actually. So uh, I'm going to take this subject of money today. Maybe you're visiting here today, and, um, and you might be... I'm tempted to apologise to you. You know, next week we won't be speaking about money. We don't normally speak about money. Uh, you, 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 if you're visiting, you don't have to give money to anything. You don't need to give to charity or whatever. Uh, but that would be a very foolish thing for me to say, actually. It would be a bit like me saying, today we're speaking about resentment, but if you're visiting and you have some resentment and grudges, please keep your resentment and grudges, because uh, we're not trying to get at you. We don't want you to feel get at, got at. Um, please just keep on with your resentment and grudge. No, that would be stupid, wouldn't it? So, um, so you know, many people who, who know Christians or are not sure about Christianity often sort of are a bit judgmental of Christians and say they don't walk the talk and stuff. Well, actually, you know, down the centuries, Christians have done remarkable things in the world. They've bought land and erected hospitals and schools. And although I know the state has taken over running those things, actually in history, it was Christians that started these things. And it was Christians who clubbed together in churches and, and got money together so they had resources to do things. And that's still today true today in many cases. And so lots of charities, the charity behind the food bank, the national charity, Trussell Trust, that's a Christian charity. Or Christians Against Poverty, Christian money advice, giving people advice with their debts. These are Christian initiatives. So Christians are part of a community in which we 
We live together and we give account to one another for what we do about injustice and poverty, what we do to look after the creation, what we do with our genitals and what we do with our money. All of our lives are actually uh, important and God cares about them all. And we also laugh a lot and eat a lot as well. But we I want to discuss this subject of money. So I'd like to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 6 to 12 and then draw out some principles and practice for us. So it'll come up on the screen behind me. So remember this. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. It's a, you can still see the ruins of this city today in, in modern Greece. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided on in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's great rich talk, isn't it? As it is written... And he quotes from Psalm 112. They freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he says, he, the God, this is, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Father, I want to thank you for your word. You're very practical. You deal with the issues of our everyday lives. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so I want to draw out some principles of this. And that first one is, is that there's a seed thing. So in verse 10, I'm sorry, Elspeth, if you could jump back, because it's still there, isn't it? Verse 10 says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. We might think God is purely speaking um, literally of these things. But it then says, we'll also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. The harvest of righteousness. We realize he's now begun to speak metaphorically. That money is a kind of seed. It is something that we can either hoard or you can plant it. And it's really worth planting it, actually. And so the story is told of the farmer. I remember one uh, holiday met when our children were much younger and we had a view from the cottage where we, which we'd gone on holiday in with another family over some, some farmland up on the hill. And while we were there, the farmer was preparing it to sow, I guess, winter wheat or something like that. And every day this farmer was out on this field doing something else to it. Like he ploughed it first of all. And then it was left a few days, and then it was harrowed or something. It was harrowed again, it was harrowed again. He went on and on and on till he produced, is it tilth, they call it, or something? A good seed bed. Now imagine that he'd done that, and then he took one seed of wheat and walked into the middle of this vast field and just planted that one seed of wheat there. What would you think of that farmer? Right? You'd think, a duh. I mean... You know, what, plant plenty. Now, you don't want to plant one every centimetre, maybe, but you want to plant them reasonably close together to get a harvest. And we also can do that and should do that 
with money. The next thing I want to say is that God is the source of all things, back in verse 10. He, he who supplies, God is the one who supplies seed. We can so often think that, that it all depends on us. And good, hard work is important, it's encouraged in scripture. But God is the one who provides. He is the supernatural provider. He is the one who opens the gates and, uh, uh, and provides for us. So God is the supplier. And it's ever so important you remember that because the moment you start thinking it's the government through your pension or it is your employer or it's the business you have that is your provider, it will make you anxious. But when you realize that God is your provider, then that can start to lift anxiety off you. It's a big revelation to come to, to realize that actually provision comes through your employer, may come through the government or wherever it comes, but actually God is your provider because then you know who to ask about provision. And then that means something, actually, that whatever we have is the next principle we have as an entrustment from God. Because the the, the people in the Bible often say, look, all that we have has come from you. It's only what you've given us that we give back to you. Everything we have is actually God's. He's given us everything, your talents, the strength that you have in your body, any health that you have to go out to work. It was given to you by God. It, It is the gift of God. We have nothing to boast about. One has this gift, another has another gift. Another has a talent to be a, a, a to, you know, to train to, to be a nurse. Another trains to be a chef. Another trains to be an accountant. We have different talents. And, um, and God is the provider of all these talents. And so that is why we appeal to him to be our supplier. And then Jesus also taught, it's not mentioned in this passage, but Jesus taught that money is a great um, servant, but a really rotten master. And some of you may be actually experiencing that right now, because to be in debt is a very, very frightening place. We used to run, we started the first Christian money advice agency in the area here, we called it Debtscape. Since then, lots of churches in the area have started such things, and we stopped doing it, but there's Still Debtscape running uh, over in Shepparton. There are CAP centres, Christians Against Poverty centres in, in this borough, also in Woking and in Staines. So there are many opportunities where people can go and get help. If you have problem debts, please go and find someone like that to help you, someone who will help you for free, charities that will help you for free. You don't need, you'll find on the internet people advertising to help you with debts, but actually they'll take more money off you. You don't need to do that. And so let's worth, it's worth mentioning that. I looked up on the internet, I found an article uh, from a think tank called the Centre for Social Justice um, where uh, I've had friends work, Christians work in this uh, think tank. It's up in London, a major think tank. And they were saying one in six adults in the UK will be worrying about their own personal finances. Um, The Money Advice Service, which is a government service, estimates that 16% of the population live with problem debt. And almost a quarter of those are in severe trouble. So that's 4% of people are in severe trouble. That is a terrible tragedy. So money can be a terrible, rotten master. So if you have these debts, seek help. And of course, money can also be a rotten master if it's your idol, if 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 you're just consumed with getting more and more of it. So um, Jesus uh, recommended sowing with money rather than just hoarding it. Now, John Wesley, some of you will have heard of John Wesley, 
one of the great Christians of, of Great Britain, who was used throughout the middle of the 1700s to bring tens and tens of thousands of people to follow Christ. And some people have said that because of what John Wesley and George Whitfield at the same time and others around them did, uh, British history was changed, that we would have had a, a revolution like the French Revolution if it wasn't for these guys and all the people who returned to Christ through what they did. So it was very important. Now, he taught, with respect to money, three things, right? John Wesley said, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Okay? Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So how do you get money? How do you gain money? Well, in Ephesians 4.28, it says this, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So the churches in the New Testament had thieves in them. And uh, maybe we have thieves in church today, um, wouldn't be surprising. There's plenty of thieves in the world. But we're taught, don't be stealing any longer, but work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. This is the normal way that God provides. It is sometimes true, you'll sometimes hear stories of people finding a wadge of money in a bush or something like that. I've occasionally heard those stories, but that is a very unusual way of God providing. Normally, what happens is you go out to work you give the sweat of your brow and someone gives you some money in return. That is the normal way in which money is obtained. And, of course, we've rather had a broken relationship with work ever since Adam and Eve. Adam, um, you know, they, they disobeyed God. And, and one of the problems out of that is that work has become a drudge and a grind. Or else it's a means of pride and self-aggrandizement and status. But salvation starts to reorientate us to work so that we don't, just, um, we don't just tolerate work, but we begin to understand that actually in my workplace, I am being, I'm bringing God's dominion. I'm bringing heaven to earth. I, I'm bringing order out of chaos. That's why we go to work in part, you know, not just to get money, not, not even just to find some people that we could tell about Jesus. But actually, we go to work to participate in God's kingdom creation mandate upon the earth. Because he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, be multipl multiply, be good stewards, have dominion in the earth. And this is what we do when we go to work. And we should expect multiplication of results. And that's why when we go to train to be a, a welder or a programmer or a car mechanic, we're investing, we're planting seed in our own future and how we might be able to then bring order out of chaos in a, to a spreadsheet or a motor car and... And through that, to earn some money. And with that, we can help people. We can bless our own families and so on. So as we sow, if we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. Scripture says this. But if we sow generously, we can reap generously. And we can be on an adventure with God with these things. And then, so it's gain all you can. Save all you can. I mean, the Apostle Paul in, an, in his second letter to the church in Corinthians said this. 2 Corinthians twelve fourteen. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. It's an interesting perspective, isn't it? And, um, you know, saving is a good thing, actually. I, I would recommend this. We took a general view that we wouldn't buy things on credit. When we, All our married life, we've had that view. A house was a different thing. A house has, is an asset. It's a value. So a mortgage seems somewhat different. Things, other things you buy, like a car or washing machine, it kind of just loses its value very, very quickly. And ideally, 
And what we set out is we would save up first to get it so we could only buy the thing we could actually afford to buy, what we could afford to save for. That was the best car then we could get. And because it's amazingly tempting when you go along to that car showroom to be for the salesman to trade you up to buy a car twice the value what you plan to go for. And so you, you need some kind of strength. This is how money can start to be a master over you instead of you making sure money is your servant. So you, you, you save, and actually it's doable, it's livable. There's a, there's a certain mentality that we can have here. And, um, and, and some people, they're insistent, you know, they must have all new furniture or whatever. We've still got loads of furniture that we, we bought out of, you know, cheap ads in the newspaper. This was before eBay, or were handed down from family or given by people here in the church. And, um, and, and, and it reminds you, it's wonderful actually, so you, every time we sit at our dining table, we think of Cornelis and Jean who kindly gave it to us. And so these things are helpful and important. So let's, let's save, and parents, let's save for our children. You know, imagine if we, just quite small choices, let's say I won't buy, you know, we won't have cable TV or whatever, we won't buy a DVD every week, instead we'll put five pounds aside for our kids but if you start when they're a baby, by the time they turn 18, you've got a few thousand pounds to give to them. Your choice today to shut down on a trivial opportunity would give them opportunities when they uh, were going off to college or whatever that, uh, that could really be a blessing. So it, the scripture encourages parents to save for their children. And I think that's, that's a good thing. You know, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. I know in scripture it says that you shouldn't know your right hand, you shouldn't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing with respect to money. And, and I think ordinarily we observe a lot of privacy about money. I don't know who gives to the church, uh, for example. I'm not saying that's an absolute rule, but that is in fact the case. Um, but, uh, but I took the view when my children were growing up that if they didn't know our giving, they wouldn't know what was good practice. Do you understand? So, so we used to talk with our children and tell them what our giving was. And I'm proud that today, as they're 32 and 29, I know that they're tithing people. That's what they do. And, and that's how they've been brought up, because they know and they saw that. So I tell stories because I want people to know that what's done in secret, lots of secret acts of obedience and faith happen in churches, which produce the, the, the effect and the opportunity of ministry, of kingdom activity in localities through all these thousands of local churches in Britain and, and millions of churches across the world. And it's fantastic. So, you know, with my daughters, I, I was one of them's now married, and today, like Maureen, She's due to give birth to her first child, our first grandchild. Any news with Maureen? Not yet, no. And my daughter Emma was telling me, on average, all babies arrive, on average, five days after their due date. And we were thinking, well, why don't they just add five days to the due date? I mean, really, I mean, that would be so much easier. Um, anyway, we, we, when they were younger, we were praying for them to get married. And I just felt as I prayed for that, God saying to me, okay, well, if you want them to get married, how are you going to finance their wedding? You know, I said, okay, let's start praying for that. Start praying. I'd have the money to, to pay uh, for their wedding. You don't have to have a lot of money to pay for a wedding. There's far too much money is probably spent on weddings. 
But, but, but a father feels that kind of thing. And so once you're praying, you're then looking out for windfalls. Now, I didn't say, uh, what I'll do is, I'll, instead of tithing to the church, I'll take that money and save up for my daughters. No, no, that's not faith. And so you're looking for those windfalls that come in. And then when they come, you think, oh, thank you, Father. And, and, and you put that aside. And so I was able to do that. So when Emma got married, there were some resources to contribute towards paying for her wedding. And, uh, and I saw God was good. He provided. So savings are really valuable and really important. And, you know, many, many people in our country have no savings at all. And that's a tragedy because that then, then money, in that situation, money becomes your, your, um, your slave master, actually. You're very stuck. You see, the moment something goes wrong, you are very trapped. So we try to train our own daughters. Look, girls. You know, have a little bit of money put aside for that time when your car breaks down, the washing machine breaks, something like that. So it's for that opportunity that arises, which you think, oh, I would love to take that opportunity. But, but uh, you know, I'm so proud of our younger daughter who wanted to take a career break, go for nine months to Bethel Church in Reading. So she saved up um, uh, to do that to some extent anyway. And uh, so next one then. So that's gain all you can, save all you can. Give all you can. This is not really a systematic kind of teaching on all this subject, but I'm trying to be practical here this morning, right? Give all you can. You know, first of all, support your own family. You know, if you, I often have found, I talk with guys who are here in the church or here in Britain who are from overseas, and you will find every time they are sending remittances home to their families, right? They, they take this responsibility very seriously. They know that as a, as a Christian, you have a responsibility to your parents and to your family. So in 1 Timothy 5, there's an overhead for this. It says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. In the church, there was, this was before welfare state in the early church. And they were saying, if a widow has no children, then the church should support her. But, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, it says, they, these Children and grandchildren should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Paul is saying not, not that this is what we do culturally. He says, no, this is pleasing to God that we should do this. And then verse 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, it's really strong language, this, isn't it? I would like to say, well, never mind, it shouldn't. But it's really, this is the Bible. It's what the Holy Spirit inspired. So let's, let, let's provide for our own families. Let's do good in these situations and have a sense of, um, sense of faith. That we can believe for our own provision and believe to provide for others as well. To be bountiful, to be generous. And, um, and this, is, this is what God wants us to be. So we give uh, and also to the kingdom of God and for the kingdom of God. And I want to say, uh, and I'm going to set this out plainly, that I think you should do that through your local church. And... and the reason is that I think that deals with, it, with our issues of control, right? Our issues of control. You know, once, when our daughters were young, occasionally one of them would give something to the other. Like, you know, my, my little pony set. One would say, okay, I'm giving you my little ponies. I've grown out of them now, and I'm giving them to you. But it was an interesting thing to see that sometimes after the gift had been given, the one who had made the gift 
assumed they still had some control over the use of that gift and would fuss about it. And, and, and I remember talking with them plainly. Look, if you make a gift, it is given. It's no longer yours. You have no say over it. It has passed. It has been given. And we actually, adults still need to learn this sometimes because we can think that we've given something and then um, actually we still have a say. We have some kind of string on this thing. Now, occasionally, something might be given explicitly with some conditions. Okay, yes, that can sometimes happen. But if you habitually give with conditions, you're in a bad place. I want to tell you there are control issues in your life. And because, you know, sometimes I've met people who say, oh, yes, well, we tithe. I, I tithe myself directly to things. Oh, that's, that's great. I'm, you're giving your tithe, but you, you're actually in control of it still. And there is some kind of issue going on there because giving... The, the way giving works is it cuts off this God of money in our lives because it, the God of money want, does not want you to give. It wants you to hoard. And it wants to make money your master, to make you the slave of money. And the, uh, the, the way to slaughter that slavery of money, to kill it off, is to be a giver. And to be a giver so that you lose control of what happens to that money. So, for me, this is why, as a church, we almost never do designated giving. Right? We almost never do designated giving. Let me just explain what I mean. We invite people to give to the general funds of our church, which then fund all that we try to do. Twice a year, we do designated giving. At Christmas, we have a special offering, usually for tier fund. And in the summer, we take a special offering for Catalyst Network of Churches, which is the group of churches we're part of. Apart from that... All the giving just goes into one big pot. And, you know, sometimes you can organise church where you're saying, we want to take up a special offering. Some churches have special offerings nearly every week to do this or to do the other or whatever. We have taken, in addition, addition, twice in the last 20 plus years, an offering for a building, which was to acquire and renovate this building. Again, that's a very exceptional thing that couldn't be managed just out of ordinary uh, sort of annual giving. But we don't do special offerings for other things. And I think that's a blessing. You're, you need to, you, you come to church, you're not being asked, begged for money to fund, you know, a new what's it for this or whatever. And, and the truth is it's impossible to run a charity successfully like that because who would want to give to the appeal to pay the insurance bill, you know, that's come up or the, or the electricity bill? It's just not sexy, is it? Do you understand? Whereas other things are. But so what we need to say is, no, look, it, it's all part of one big budget. You give into that. And there's uh, some kind of sense of uh, trust that's involved in that. Now, there's no individual, single person deciding how all that's distributed. We have annual general meetings where we share how the money has been uh, sort of uh, shared out and uh, how it's used. And so I would invite you to participate in that. So understand the value behind that, that we don't do these kind of... um, now, there are, because we Food Bank and other ministries like that are run between other churches, some of those things have some separate fundraising. But on the whole, I, I would like us to have a, just a sense there's a general fund from which we can then do the mission. And that's a much better way of carrying on. So giving is a really important thing. You know, someone has said giving is not God's way of raising money. It's God's way of raising children. 
it, it, it is something that touches the heart of us. Jesus talked a great deal about money, and there is something about money that needs uh, our attention. Now, at the AGM, because not many of you came, we showed uh, the treasurer prepared some slides. I think that's the next three slides, Elspeth. Um, so this was the income for the... Our year end is the end of March. So we're actually just coming to another year end. So this is nearly a year out of date. Do you follow? But these things take a while to, to, uh, to come through anyway. So you can see... Um, <clears throat> This was the, the giving up to the end of March 2016, um, last year, So, which is fantastically generous. Now, in recent years, we've had some people kind of leave us. I remember when, when I was going for this building, I was talking with a pastor of another church who'd had a building project, and he, he quoted from that film. You know the film Field of Dreams? There's a very famous quote from that film called, Build It and They Will Come. You, yeah, you've, well, he, he parodied this and he said, well, you need to know, build it and they will leave. Right? That's what he told me. And I was going, I refuse that prophecy and all the rest. But apparently this often happens when you go, it's not in the right place, I don't like this building or whatever the reason. Okay, this sort of thing happens. So, so um, but now we're here, we're embedded, that that will all turn around. But, um, but that's, you can see there's already been some reduction in giving there. And if we have the next slide, there, um, this is the this is kind of expenditure. You can see we didn't spend all the money we got in last year. We've we've curtailed our, um, and I actually, although the giving was less between those two years, I think we had a building um, offering in that year, so that could account for some of the diminution in the giving. You know that it was a bit less because people maybe diverted their regular giving to the general funds to the building fund. But I, I don't know. I, can't, I haven't got a deep dive into that data. Um, so uh, you can see the sort of areas where our money goes to that uh, uh, such like I'm not going to go into detail into this and then the next slide just summarises it and shows that the surplus that we had now um, <clears throat> if we go back to the first of those slides Elspeth, the, the income uh, just, just, just this is a bit of a news flash that we just had a meeting about this the trustees the, 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 the attendance at the church here has been about the same over the last year, we're about the same numbers but actually the giving in March this year compared to March last year is about 25% down so the, this giving number is going to be less in the coming year can you see, so that actually and, and we don't have reserves anymore because we've sunk everything here we are in an interesting situation. And uh, we know we're a very generous church because a phenomenal amount of money was raised for this building in just two offerings. Very many churches with a building project, there'd be three or four offerings a year for many, many years. Just in two big offerings, we've done this. And that's, uh, that's amazing. It's an amazing sign of the grace of God. So, But I am just wanting to say we should pray by faith because I have a lot of faith money. I'm not particularly worried. Uh, I believe God is my provider, not you or this church. Right? I, that's the honest truth. And uh, so, um, um, and I know this is a generous church. But it was also interesting. I don't know who gives, but I asked for some data. And actually, 98% of, of the giving is identifiable. And 98% comes from 50% of the households. So, so 50% of the households are not giving any identifiable giving or that little 2%, okay? So if more people would like to join in the fun, I would encourage that. Because actually it's not that you are... The main beneficiaries, if you participate, is yourself, 
actually, because to, to, to the adventure with money is a most exciting adventure. So people often um, sort of quibble and say, well, we're not under law, we're in the New Testament, we're under grace, so this tithing thing, this giving 10%, um, it is not, it doesn't apply to us. Well, I would agree there's not a law saying you should do that. That's, that's fine with me. I, I'm, I'm up with that. And, um, but I know this, that when Jesus on the Sermon on, on the Mount referred back to the Ten Commandments, if you remember it, he was saying things like, you know, you, it was written, thou shalt not commit murder. Do you remember he talks like that? And he says, but, but I say to you, even if you're angry with your brother or you say you fool, you, you've broken that commandment. And I don't know about you, but I, I have not committed murder. But to say that I haven't been angry or called a person a name, well, that, that, that wouldn't be true, right? Because I, have, I, I do do that, I'm afraid. You know, driving and, you know. <laughs> Extenuating circumstances, I'm sure you'd agree. But, it's, but I don't know, when Jesus does that, he, he kind of makes the, the law deeper, doesn't he? He, do, he doesn't say you don't have to worry about the murder thing. A bit of murder, that's okay, between friends, you know. He doesn't say that. He says, no, don't commit murder. And what's more, don't even think bad stuff. And then the adultery thing, he says, don't commit adultery. You know, it was written, don't commit adultery. But, but I say, listen, don't, don't undress her in your mind. Don't, don't, have a fan- don't have a fantasy about being married to someone else. Don't blah, 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 yeah? He goes deeper. And again, by the grace of God, I've never committed adultery. But I can't say I'm faultless on the lust thing. So. Now, when it comes to money, I, I think Jesus would have said, yeah, you know, the ten, you know, it was written, give 10%. But I say to you, well, what would he say to you? I wonder what he says to you. Well, we certainly found that God, just as it challenged us, Elspeth and I, she's at the, operating the overhead kindly this morning. Um, you know, we've always given at least 10%. In fact, as, as you know, the last two or three years, as part of our contribution for this, I've, I've gone on half salary. And, um, and, and, you know, I love doing that. I love being generous with money. I, I, I find when there's an opportunity to give, to pray about what you're going to do. Now, you see, part, partly that was possible because, see, some years ago when we had a, a mortgage, I started praying to God, you know, God, I'd like to get rid of our mortgage. And um, so I'm just telling you more stories. So I started praying, God, I want to pay off the mortgage. And... Uh, um, and again, I didn't think, okay, what I'll do is I'll stop tithing and use that to pay off my mortgage. No, I still kept up with all the giving, and, uh, but, but waited for those windfalls. And then windfalls come in. You say, okay, great, use that tithe, but also give, give it. And, and then we were able to pay off the mortgage. And because of that, I can then be generous and say, yeah, just I'll go half salary. You create all kinds of opportunities. It's the adventure of being money, uh, of, with money. And I know lots of you have stories about different things. So let's, let's be adventurous. So don't give what you don't have. 2 Corinthians 8.12, there's an overhead slide of this passage. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And then give cheerfully. You're not free to give grudgingly. The right? Bible makes it very clear. We give cheerfully. And then give yourself to the Lord and to the church. 2 Corinthians 8.5, and they exceeded our expectations, Paul writes. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. It's, it's so important, this actually, that at where our heart is, the most precious gift you have is yourself. The most precious gift God has is himself. 
He can give you money and stuff like that. But actually he wants you to have him. He wants you to have Jesus in your heart. He wants you to enjoy a relationship with God. He wants to have, hear your voice and worshipping and to have fellowship with you. To show you his great kindness and love. You know, money is actually quite easy to give once you've given your heart. You know, when people have fallen in love, they, they love to buy a gift for one another. To buy, to, the man goes out and buys that beautiful diamond ring to be betrothed to his girlfriend. Right? He doesn't balk at the, the price of it. He, he wants to be generous. When you give your heart, the money is easy, actually. 2 Corinthians twelve fourteen. Now I'm ready to visit you for the third time, Paul says, and I'll not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. We don't have thermometers outside this church. If you're visiting here today, we're not asking for your money. We don't put a thermometer outside and ask for money from people out there, particularly if they give it, we'll accept it. But we don't ask for that money because what we want is these people to know Jesus. We We need their money. They need our money, actually. They need our help. And that's why we collect it. So if you don't want to give yourself, don't give your money. You must give yourself first. It's utterly important. You know, God knows that if he has your heart, then he'll also have your hand and your head and an H for your money. I don't know. Help me. Is there a word for money that starts with H? I can't think of one. (laughs) Someone might think of one. Where's Barry Bramwell when you need him? (laughs) You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's such a powerful statement. You know, where actually you can help steer where your heart is by where you put your treasure. You can really steer where your heart goes. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That means you can actually steer your heart. It's a fancy in our society that the heart is something completely out of control. I just fell in love. We were away at work on this work conference and I've fallen in love with this other woman, or whatever it is. It's as if it's all out of our control. But the Bible says different. Jesus says, no, that, that's not how it is. You, you have control of your heart. You're a powerful person. You're not just being blown around by something. You're a powerful person in God. You're a... Especially if you're a Christian, you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God. You you can direct your heart. And you know, one of the ways you direct your heart is where you send your resources. You know, just illustrating from marriage again, it's amazing how much money a man might spend on a mistress. But if only he spent that money on his wife. eh? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. So, um, we want to give ourselves to God the Father, and he's calling us. And he wants all of us. And he doesn't just want a couple of hours on a Sunday morning and an hour on Wednesday night and a a little bit of money tossed in the offering. He wants your whole life. And he's, he's so kind. His heart is kind. And so he invites us to walk with him and on wonderful adventures with money and all kinds of stuff. And he invites us to walk with him as his friend, not as his servant. That's very special.